So don't be fooled into randomness and fall into the assumption that systems are correct and forecasting is accurate. Systems are constructed according to the survivorship bias of winning ideas and winning people. And as we've learned, much like John Johnson and Russian Roulette, not always the most correct and true methods become the winners. So this is the 2021 re-recording of Fooled by Randomness. This is going to be the skeleton of this podcast. We're going to introduce Nassim Taleb and kind of try to understand a little bit what he's about to provide context for what gives him the authority, but also the interest to write a book like Fooled by Randomness and a series like The Inserter. We're going to talk about the role that randomness plays in our lives, survivorship bias specifically. Finally, why acknowledging that randomness does dictate the majority of outcomes, why it's not a nihilistic message. Before I get into it, I just uh, can't miss this opportunity to plug my website and to plug my other podcasts. So guys, if you're into Nassim Taleb and you're into the Inserto, then by proxy, I think you and I have very similar interests. Okay, obviously this might be the main interest, but nonetheless, it sort of suggests a, a wider consideration of systems and perhaps a different worldview, a more curious worldview. So have a look at my website. I've published over 100 articles on there and it's all an extension of my different interests. You know, there's the Sim Taleb, but there's also Carl Jung, but there's also mental models, but there's also geopolitics, but there's also uh, alternative energy, but there's also investing. And then there's also a bit of life stuff in there as well. So go onto the website, have a look. There's two other podcasts that I run. One is the Geopolitics and Power podcast. That's pretty self-explanatory. The second is called What About When? It's an interview podcast. Now, I've had on there the CEO of Vestergaard, one of the greatest components of conscious capitalism in the entire world. Almost a billion people sleep under their products every night. It is fucking wild what they're doing. So I've got an interview with him. I've got an interview with the internet's most popular Jungian analyst. I've got an interview with Tim Marshall, you know, the author of one of the most popular geopolitical books of all time, Prisoners of Geography. There's a lot of good interviews on there. And really the absolute hardest thing for this content creation game is just discovery. So I think you guys might be interested in it. Please look in the description of this podcast. Subscribe to all these podcasts. Subscribe to the newsletter if you're keen. Obviously, if you're not, then fucking don't worry about it. But if you're keen, please do me that favor and pump your good, good juice into this algorithm it's us versus the algorithm. Get this podcast and my other podcast up there. All right, let's let's get into it. So this is the crux of Fooled by Randomness. And this is where Nassim opens up the book. He talks about the this phenomenon. And then you guys think about how it then iterates billions of times elsewhere across our different systems and across our different behaviors. You know, right at the beginning of time when we started walking upright, but before we had any tools or any knowledge of the world, one man one day scratched his nose a a particular way and then noticed that it started to rain and thought that there was a correlation between the two events. And so went on to spread the word of what this complicated rubbing of the nose and further iterations dance might be able to bring on the rain. And it's the very start of our species collapse into drawing causation between totally uncorrelated events. Because when the man recreated his dance, it was easily said, oh, but you didn't do it right. And then one day when he did it right and it started to rain, well, thunderous applause, 
you figured out how to make it rain. This man was the first who was fooled by randomness. Nassim was employed in one of the most tangible fields that has exposure to randomness. He was a trader. He was a trader in financial markets. He was such a good trader that he uh, got to the point where he sort of just ran his own book. He says in Fooled by Randomness, it's as close to being self-employed as one can be without having to take care of all of the boring administration work that a self-employed person would have to take care of. Nassim, I forget the company exactly. It might have been Citibank who was employing him at the time or Credit Suisse. But basically, they just gave him X amount of money and said, Nassim, please find returns for us and no one is going to look over you. And Nassim did exactly that. He really romanticizes the idea of being a flaneur, the the idea of just being someone who wanders and casually with their own time decides to sit on the park bench and read uh, and then draws the conclusion between why that behavior will actually inform him better about the markets than, say, for example, staying on top of whatever CNBC News is telling you about the price signals. So Nassim, his life work has been an exposure to risk and randomness. He's an extremely erudite person. You know, he's the kind of guy that does mathematics for fun. And he romanticizes people like Umberto Eco, who have one of the most prized private book collections uh, in the world. Uh, Nassim is extremely widely read. He absolutely worships the classics, and therefore it makes for a lot of metaphor and anecdote throughout the inserter series that kind of went over my head, but maybe they don't go over yours, but it's just because I don't, I haven't read the classics. I don't understand really. But ultimately, Nassim is as widely read and erudite as you're likely to find. He would write the fooled by randomness manuscripts while he was still working as a trader, just as he would sort of get home from work. And much like Franz Kafka would write all of his books when he came home from work in his free time, Nassim insists that one cannot simply be an author. They must have other inputs in their lives that inform than what they will write about. And Fooled by Randomness was Nassim's juicy explosure into public awareness. So what is the what is the overriding theme of Fooled by Randomness? The world is dictated by random events. It is only because we fail to understand probability that we continue to believe that events are non-random. So it is true that random events are everywhere and they are outside of our control. But by understanding further the characteristics of randomness, we can inform ourselves and the decisions we make with more confidence and stability. So what is one of the key characteristics to understanding the role of randomness in our lives? Look at the way survivorship bias completely skews data sets and skews the way that we look at systems. Because we hear a lot about those who won, but we are absolutely deaf to the graveyard of losers who fell along the way. Quite simply, the survivorship bias of us attributing qualities to someone who won and then inferring that those qualities were the reason they won informs the next iterations of people to either emulate or copy these characteristics that they have attributed to the winner. When in reality, it might have been absolute luck that made him the winner over someone else. And therefore, the qualities you're actually emulating aren't those of a winner, but simply those of the lucky person. I forget which book he says this in. It might be full by randomness, but Nassim makes this 
lovely, lovely metaphor for understanding this better. Because mild success can be explained by skills and hard work, but it is only wild success that is attributable to variance and luck. So for example, say you're in a distribution of 100 people, right? And let's say 10% of those people objectively work harder and have more skills than everyone else. So in a totally meritocratic system where luck and randomness are not at play, that 10% who worked harder, they will be the ones that win at the end of the day, right? But what Nassim points out to us, and I think we can all see this true in, in the reality that we live, is that while mild success can be explained by those skills and hard work, those skills and hard work will rise you to the top of that distribution. So you might be the top 10 out of the 100, for example, because you've worked harder. That's your mild success. But who becomes the most successful of them? At this end of the distribution, it's not equatable to how hard you're working or how smart you are. At this end of the distribution, it's attributable to variance and luck. So you work really hard, you build your way up to the top of the distribution, and then a gust of wind comes through and only one of you are lifted outside to the outlier tail end winner. And now because this outline tail end winner has, say, 100x the net worth of the 99 people below them combined, people start attributing his successful qualities to the reason why he was the winner. When in reality, let's just look at a couple of domains that we exist in already. Is Mark Zuckerberg's Asperger's or the way he looks or how hard he works or his developing ability or his strategic mind and thinking about social networks, is that the reason why Facebook is worth a billion times what MySpace is? No, that's not the case. Mark Zuckerberg is a lucky fool. Now, he's a very smart and a very hardworking fool, but he is nonetheless lucky. Facebook is a thousand, a million, a billion X the size, scope, and influence that MySpace, Bebo, and all of the other social networks before him are. Because this is the role of variance and luck. Zuck came around at the perfect time and made maybe one or two perfect decisions that managed to leverage him up to where he is, where he started getting the networking effects working in his benefit to the point where no one else can really compete with him now, unless another black swan or another extremely high uh, variance and luck opportunity to come around for someone else. But think about that and the role of survivorship bias in it. You know, Oprah said luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And that's just another way of saying what Nassim says here. Mild success can be explicable by skills and hard work, but wild success is attributable to variance and luck. You know, I think about this... I, I can really apply this to almost any domain. I'm just taking now, for example, say uh, the NFL, football players, right? Some of the best athletes in the world. Actually, even better, a sport that I actually am familiar with, the UFC. Some of the best athletes in the world. Now, does that suggest that they are the best of all possible athletes in the world? Certainly not. There are probably thousands, if not millions of people that have lived in the last 100, 200 years who all could have knocked out Mike Tyson with ease, but they never got into fighting for whatever reason. Variance and luck 
never blew in their direction. They weren't, they didn't stumble across a boxing coach who saw a, who saw a spark in them. You know, that they, they never got an opportunity to pursue a sport because they were too locked down in whatever their, whatever their grind or whatever their predisposition was. You know, the role of survivorship bias is riddled throughout society. And there's really nothing wrong with the fact that it is riddled without society. That's kind of a consequence of uh, highly competitive distributions when luck is involved. The domains that we exist in are not meritocracies. We try to make them meritocracies, but as long as randomness and variance and luck are involved, they can never be true meritocracies. And that's fine. So be it. That That's, you know... The, that's the flavor of life. Luck and randomness and various and variance are going to are going to play a very a very deft hand. But acknowledge the survivorship bias. We must if we are to start cutting through some of the random noise that we see every single day. And that ultimately is the purpose of the inserto, to empower its reader to be able to see through the noise and straight to the signal. Nassim gives a Nassim gives an example of um, a hypothetical Russian roulette game to explain survivorship bias, which I will explain soon. But I really think the best example to understand survivorship bias through is by looking at beginner's luck. So, for example, people often pronounce that they had beginner's luck when gambling. My brother, he boasted that he won over $1,000 the first time he went to the casino. And this is the purest form of real-world survivorship bias. Because those who won big on the first time they gambled they're going to sing about it much louder than those who lost. And those who won big the first time they went, they will eventually go on to experience a loss and then be able to confirm in their own heads that it was beginner's luck that got them up the first time. When the truth is, is that everyone had exactly the same chance of winning or losing when they walked into the casino. And it just happens to be across the distribution, X amount of those people are going to win on the first time than they will on their 10th time. And so the phrase beginner's luck exists solely because of survivorship bias. Because people don't start uh, making a big deal of it when they won the fourth time they went to the casino. You know, there isn't such a thing as fourth time as luck. You know, there's such thing as third time's the charm. But for example, there are as many people who win the fourth time they go to the casino as they do the first time they go to the casino. But the survivorship bias dictates that more noise is made about it when they go the first time, and therefore beginner's luck entered our lexicon. This is the example that Nassim uses to describe survivorship bias. He talks about Russian roulette. Now, I've changed a little bit the names, but nonetheless, bear with me. So imagine John Johnson, an exceptional young man who made $5 million by the time he was 23 years old. Very impressive, right? What we tend to know and think isn't necessarily correct. What we know and think is a consequence of survivorship bias. Someone won, and therefore we attribute his success to the traits he embodies, irrespective of how correct they truly are. John Johnson made his big fortune at such a young age by playing Russian roulette for a million dollars a day. And as you all should know, Russian roulette is you get a you get a six-shooter revolver, you put one bullet in, you spin the barrel, and you play you roll the dice. Yeah, you've got a one in six chance of surviving. So he played this game for a million dollars a day, and he survived five days of Russian roulette by pure chance. But this is where survivorship bias comes into it. John Johnson is convinced that he's gaming the system because while everyone else is shooting with their right hand, John has a special trick. He's shooting with his left. 
And so he starts telling people, hey, I have the secret to becoming a young millionaire. I have mastered Russian roulette. So follow my lead and you will become a young millionaire too. And so now everyone's following John Johnson's lead and they're shooting with their left hand. And the kicker of survivorship bias is that some win. And now all of a sudden you have people everywhere coming forward pronouncing how amazing the successful left-handed pull is. <laughs> and according to survivorship bias, you have a 100% successful strategy because the people who lose with this strategy, you never hear from them. You only hear from the winners. The people that are pulling their, the people that are shooting with their left hand and failing at Russian roulette, they're piling up the silent graveyard of left-handed trigger-happy fools. So remember what I said at the start. This is the crux of survivorship bias. We hear a lot about those who won, but we are deaf to the layered graveyard of losers who fell along the way. Look at winners in any domain that you want. Joe Rogan and podcasting, Tim Ferriss and podcasting, Naval Ravikant and angel investing, JK Rowling in publishing books, Tom Brady winning Super Bowls. The list really goes on. All exceptional people, no fucking doubt about it. All exceptional people, all already at the top 10% of the distribution because they are smarter and they work harder. There's no doubt about it. But did Tom Brady win another Super Bowl just because he's so exceptional and hardworking? No, we cannot, we cannot fool ourselves into thinking that is the case. There is a huge role of variance and luck at play here. Tom Brady is an exceptionally lucky man. I don't want to take away his wins, but he's so fucking lucky, right? He's also exceptional. Definitely one of the best, definitely one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Definitely one of the hardest working athletes of all time. But if we are to just attribute those facts to him, then we are deaf to the laid graveyard of losers who fell along the way because there were many other people just as skilled as Tom Brady who never made it to winning seven Super Bowls. You know, there are just as many good books out there like Harry Potter that no one's ever heard of. It's the role of luck. It's the role of variance and chance. And that's why we will learn later in The Black Swan, in Extremistan and Mediocristan, why competitive domains are so unevenly distributed. It kind of feeds into this as well. But a good caveat to make here is that chance favors hard work and skills. You know, uh, Ben Franklin said it, I'm going off the top of my head here, so I might get it wrong, but he said something like, what did he say? Okay, I, I looked it up, I cheated. He said, I'm a strong believer in luck, and I find the harder I work, the more I have of it. You know, this is, uh, this is another way of phrasing what Nassim says here. Chance favors hard work and skills. What, what Oprah said, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. You know, you only can control your behavior. So don't be fooled into randomness and fall into the assumption that systems are correct and forecasting is accurate. Systems are constructed according to the survivorship bias of winning ideas and winning people. And as we've learned, much like John Johnson and Russian Roulette, not always the most correct and true methods become the winners. You know, how often do you look out into the world and say to yourself, there's a lot of fucking BS here running through these systems. How is it that this is the case? In many, in many of these instances, it might simply just be that survivorship bias of winning ideas has corrupted whatever system it is that you're looking out to. Inferring predictions about the future from past events may not be such a good idea. 
For Taleb, fooled by randomness stokes the development of his complementary ideas of black swan and anti-fragility and so forth. But this book is a fundamental inquisition into the role randomness plays in our lives. So much of what is so much of what is successful is timing. The best strategy for a given time might not be the best strategy overall. Typically, there is a misguided explanation for why success occurred previously. Question the randomness at play and don't become a fool. And again, this is the last point that I made in the skeleton because, and for me, this was the biggest point because it's not a nihilistic message. Because when I read it the first time, I judged it as a nihilistic message. I said, well, if everything is so randomness in, what control do I have over my life? You know, why am I even trying at all? And I said this, you know, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but nonetheless, Nassim answers this question when he writes, I take risks crossing the road every day, so according to you, I should just stay home in a state of paralysis? The answer is that we don't cross the street blindfolded. We use sensory information to mitigate risks and reduce exposure to extreme shocks. So the point of Fool by Randomness is the following. We live in an extraordinarily random, high-risk world. We all cross the street every day. What Taleb suggests is that rather than crossing the street every day with a blindfold on, hoping not to get taken out by a car at random, that by studying risk and probability, we can remove our blindfold to much of the world's randomness and give ourselves a better chance at making it to the other side. So in fact, fooled by randomness is anti-nihilistic. It's a step in the right direction to removing the blindfold and actually starting to mitigate and take in all of the sensory randomness that is trying to influence your life. Being able to embrace the asymmetric upside of good serendipity and able to shun away the asymmetric downside of a black swan. So I really hope you enjoyed this uh, re-recorded version of Full by Randomness. Again, I urge you to reach out to me. You'll find me on Twitter and you'll find me through my website. Reach out to me and tell me what you didn't like. Tell me what you did like. If you did like the podcast, pump your good juice into the algorithm. Pump it in there. Get the algorithm working in our favor. It's us versus the algorithm. Get the insert in the sim to lab pod up there and then visit all the other work I'm doing. Cheers, you guys are fucking legends for sticking through to the end. Stay tuned for the re-recorded episodes of the other books in the Inserto series. Ciao.